Well, if you're just joining us here, thank you for coming to HBF this morning. It's an exciting time. I know some of us are maybe a little weary, but don't be worrying well doing for a new season. We'll reap if we faint not. It's been a good week of investing in the kingdom and uh, investing in the children of God. You know, if we don't feed the lambs, the Bible tells us we won't be ready to feed the sheep. And uh, those are some precious souls there. So appreciate everybody that just poured out um, so much uh, to get ready this last week and to, and to work. And it was so diligent. Everybody was here every night. Uh, you know, come rain, come shine. There's plenty of shine and there was a little bit of rain and we really appreciated the rain we had too. So it was a real blessing this week. Uh, and also we had, for those of you who don't know, we had a VBA, uh, which is a Vacation Bible Academy. So the middle up through senior high, uh, had a, had their own kind of VBS, uh, going on with the same theme and it was really a good. And so we'll be praying for that group as well as they're getting ready to roll into camp in just a couple weeks and that'll be a life changer for them. So, um, we've, we've already had a great, good morning, good praise, good time to celebrate what God has done, but we're going to transition this morning to uh, hear the word of God, and and I want to introduce you to a missionary. Some of you already know, but many of you don't know. Maybe it's the first time you've been here. Maybe it's uh, maybe you're newer to HBF and you haven't been around. But I've had a relationship uh, with Brother Derek Thomas, also Pastor Derek Thomas, used to pastor just up the street. Derek and Julie, not to be confused with Derek Thomas, football player. Derek Thomas, uh, Derek and Julie Thomas uh, served in Lithuania faithfully for many years. Uh, and when we first started the church at HBF, we were able to pick them up for a season. And then uh, God brought them back, and they, they uh, served at Faith Baptist. And um, they were uh, faithful here until God sent them back to Ukraine uh, several years ago. And they've served faithfully in Ukraine, and God has them in some other fields. Derek and Julie are, are just incredibly uh, gifted and and used of the Lord. We were catching up this morning, and God is opening effectual doors uh, that are open to him and Julie in the ministry. So I really want you to, to, to pay attention uh, to everything that Derek has to say and, and, and remember his face, remember Julie's face, and remember to pray for this uh, this couple and, and all the work that's represented through their ministry. And so, uh, Derek, uh, with that, I just want to introduce him. Come, come up and preach to us this morning. I'll let you introduce your wife, but uh, Derek, give Derek a good uh, HBF welcome this morning. Right. It is a blessing to be here today. Is this on? Am I working? And my wife here, Julie, of 36 years, and praise uh, God for her. I grew up here in the Kansas City area, Lee Summit, and I uh, had to cross the border, though, to find my wife. She's from the Kansas side, but we can forgive her. She's a pretty good gal, okay? Her, her parents and grandparents were all from the Missouri side, so they're really more Missouri than she is Kansas, but... A blessing to be here with you today, and want to give you a little bit of an update on what's going on right now in Ukraine. Uh, I prepare to leave later this week on a trip that will include about a month there of August in Ukraine for ministry, and uh, God is doing some amazing things through a very difficult time. I want to thank you for being a part and giving to our Compassion for Ukraine Fund, and uh, again, just a blessing, and to see a little bit about what it, God is doing. We have some right out there in the back. We'd love you to get one. Uh, when the war in Ukraine started, right before the war, you began to see troops amassing on that uh, eastern side where Ukraine shares a border with Russia. Uh, you can see there the second largest city of Kharkiv and uh, how things were really not looking good for Kharkiv and going down to the south of Ukraine all the way down to the Black Sea in uh, Crimea where you see Russian-occupied Crimea. Russia occupied Crimea 
in 2014. So really, the war with Ukraine and Russia had been going on for about eight years, but February 24th of last year is when it went to a whole nother level. Uh, but what really became concerning for us is when the Russian troops crossed over into Belarus, just north of Ukraine, and specifically the capital city of Kiev, that's where Julie and I called home, where we had the Living Hope uh, Baptist Church of Kiev, and uh, they truly did. They amassed there, and on February 24th, they came down, and it looked like Kiev was going to be taken. Very thankfully, it was not taken, and it's freer today, and we're able to have services and all there today. But you see pictures like this from Ukraine. In fact, this happened happened to be on a Sunday morning when we were there. I was in my office preparing for a service that morning, and I heard the explosions. I looked out through my window and up in the center of the city and saw smoke coming up. And so we've seen uh, schools that have been hit, hospitals that have been hit by Russian missiles. Uh, you've seen maternity wards, apartment buildings like this who hit. Destruction is just all over the country. And it's heartbreaking to see some of the areas. In fact, very much some of the pictures you see, they look like pictures from World War II. The destruction is so bad. This was in the city of Azum. We were there about five days after they were liberated from Russian occupation. Say about half the community city was destroyed. I think there were still somewhere around 15 to 17,000 people living in Azum. And when we got there, they had no electricity. They had no water. They had no gas living in difficult places. Here you see apartment buildings like this that have been destroyed. Every one of these would house between 500 to 1,000 people. They estimate right now in Ukraine that about 14 million have been displaced from their homes. Folks, that's a lot of people, 14 people. Uh, they About 6 million of those are still in Ukraine. So about 8 million have left. They're in different uh, countries, areas. Most of those are women and children but 6 million still in the country. Uh, you see pictures like this. Here's a father with his dead son uh, that got killed by a missile uh, earlier that day, shrapnel. And just, again, the stories are heartbreaking. I had a video here that went through a village. We can't play the video this morning, but it just gives you a feel. You see home after home after home like this just destroyed. Uh, I don't know if this village will ever come back to life. Uh, you see children that have been greatly impacted by the war. Try to imagine, you know, I got a note from Dima. He's the young man that comes in our church there in Kiev. And uh, here a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago or so, got a note from him. It was about 2 in the morning his time. And he said, wow, we've just got a lot of explosions that are happening. And I imagine the sirens, you know, that are blowing. That night I think Russia had sent 28 missiles just at Kiev. And of those 28, seven were what they call the hypersonic missiles, which are five times faster than the speed of sound. Uh, so try to imagine being woken up to sirens going off, hearing the explosions like that that are going off. Uh, most of those missiles, if not all that night, were taken out by air defense systems. But even when those missiles are hit in the air, they still fall to the ground on fire. They still kill people when they fall. They still start fires and destroy buildings uh, when they fall. And I think there was a period going from May into June with out of 30 days, like 20 or 21 of those days, Ukraine had multiple missiles and drones shot at them. But try to imagine a child growing up in such a time. Try to imagine Dima taking his two-year-old daughter Abigail with his wife Erica two in the morning when missiles and sirens and all are happening. Do you go down to the bomb shelter? Do you go down the elevator? They live on the 10th floor. Do you dare getting into the elevator at a time like that? 
once you get down to the bomb shelter, how long do you stay before you come back? When is it safe? When you do come back, how do you get Abigail, you know, back to dinner? You know, if parents know, routine is everything, especially with little children. But those are some of the difficulties they go through. Uh, you see kids like this and uh, that have been even closer to the war and to the fighting and uh, things with Russian soldiers and women and even children that will break your heart, things that you read. And right now what we're doing this summer is we're helping to bring about 1,500 children from eastern Ukraine and previously occupied territories of Ukraine over to the camp in Lutz. In fact, here in August when we're there, we're going to have a couple of weeks. We're bringing some of our students from our institute, SBI, that are coming to work. And uh, we're just going to love on these kids and tell them about the love of Christ. Uh, they are estimating right now in Ukraine, and these are governmental-type numbers, but somewhere around 1.5 million Ukrainian children they say will have generational issues. So the PTSD, these things that they're going to carry forward with them into life. And listen, Christ is the only hope here, okay? Uh, I don't care the psychology and all the things to help overcome emotionally some of those things, but Christ is the only real answer. And you can imagine uh, these young people that as they come into their adult years and think about the soldiers and others that are struggling with the same thing, they're going to try to fill that vacuum with alcohol with drugs, and none of that will bring peace, right? Only Christ. And even with Christ, still there will be struggles. But we we ask you to pray. By the way, just going back to children for a moment, I don't know, you don't hear this number very often, but somewhere between seventeen to 19,000 children, Ukrainian children, have been taken from their parents by Russian troops, and they've been sent into Russia. And some are in camps in Russia. They're being indoctrinated with Russian dogma. Others have been given to Russian families. So I'm not talking, again, about 1,000 or 500 children. We're talking about anywhere between 17 and 19,000 children taken from their parents. The war will have a dramatic effect upon kids. You see pictures like this, and you see the tulips. This was taken a little bit earlier uh, this year when I was there in April. Tulips coming up. I like to think of those as hope. In the destruction, there's hope. My friends, Christ is that hope. This is a modern day, more of a map. That red area would be the area that Russia now occupies or controls. Uh, you probably heard here a couple of weeks ago the, the dam that was just north of Kursan that was mined and taken out by Russia and the flooding and difficulties that came from that. And again, we're talking generational changes. A lot of that farmland to the south of that dam was very rich and fertile farmland, now flooded and uh, possibly permanently damaged. But that's where the intense, most intense part of the fighting is taking place there in Ukraine. But keep that picture in mind, because all those other areas, like you see Kiev and you see Kharkov, and you see even up there Jatomir uh, and other areas, those are where missile attacks have happened and hit. Just recently, last week, I believe early last week, uh, on that very western side near the border there with Poland, a city called Lviv, uh, was hit, and they had 10 that were killed. It was just a random apartment building uh, that was hit. And there were people there that, that woke up that day into eternity, right? They never woke up from their, from their sleep. Here you see a map of Ukraine. Now notice the star up there, Lutsk. That's where our camp is. That's where our uh, distribution point is. So we have, a, we have a warehouse there. And from that point, we may receive aid from uh, Poland. We have, some, like we have a container right now that's coming It'll go through Poland. It will come to us there in Lutsk. We've had aid that's come in from Romania, and we've brought it up to Lutsk. 
But if we're still able to buy the aid in Ukraine, we can buy it much cheaper and we don't have to pay for any transportation costs. I'll talk to you more about that in just a moment. But you can see here from Lutsk all those distribution points, and primarily many of them, they're on the eastern side where the fighting is the most intense. So we might have a a church, for example, in uh, the city of Poltava, and we send them a shipment of aid. They'll receive that aid. They'll break it down into individual bags. Then they'll go out to these places like Izum, like Lyman, places right on the edge of the war where people are in the greatest need. And they might say something like this, you know, we're here today, we bring this aid today in the name of Jesus Christ to help you with your physical need. But there's a greater need that Christ has met for you, and it's an eternal need he has met for you from the cross of Calvary. And you go right into the gospel, and you preach the gospel of hope. And let me tell you right now, in Ukraine, people are starving, they are searching for hope. And we see it over and over again. It's like the false facade of religion. Most Ukrainians would be Orthodox or Catholic. Uh, On the Western side, more Catholic. Eastern side, they're more Orthodox. But there's no hope in Orthodoxy. And uh, the the war has kind of melted away that false facade, and people are looking for real and certain answers because they know that death is imminent, right? They know that death is real. They've lost loved ones. They've heard the sirens. They've heard the explosions. So they're searching for hope. So that gives you an idea. Some of these places we've been to multiple times, but how we've helped to distribute aid there in the country. Here you see some facts uh, down below there, that uh, lower left-hand corner. In need of humanitarian assistance, the U.N. estimates about 17.6 million who are in need. There you see the 6 million people that are internally displaced uh, from their homes. And down below, the U.N.'s warning that humanitarian crisis is deteriorating at an alarming speed. And the war is now how old? About 17 months. So next month, it'll be a year and a half that the war's been going on. Try to imagine uh, how do you live with war? How do you work, right? How do you support your family in, in some of these areas? Here you see a truck. This would be five metric tons, about 11,000 pounds uh, that we can carry. And this truck was given to us to use, uh, to distribute in. And we can buy this load of aid. This is about seven $1,000 for 11,000 pounds. This will feed about 600 people uh, for about three weeks or so. So we'll buy this. This has got some canned meats and some different grains and pastas and uh, flour and different things in it, non-perishables. We would buy this. We, again, would ship it to one of our churches or one of our places. They will take it, break it down, and then distribute it. But more than just the aid going out, what else is going out? The gospel's going out. So the aid, let me tell you what the aid has done. The aid has done two things. Number one, it opens a heart to listen to what you have to say because you care for them. Right now, the Orthodox Church, we don't see the Orthodox Church. I don't, they don't have a message of hope, number one, but number two, you don't see them trying to help their people. So they're very, they they see that you care about them. They're more willing to listen now to what you have to say. So we've seen hearts more open to listen, but number two, We've seen so many open doors, invitations to come. I never had the number of invitations. I mean, it's not even close to the invitations right now. We have to come and share the gospel. One of our men had a uh, refugee center, a secular refugee center of 450 refugees. And the director came to our pastor and said, listen, these people, they have no hope. I mean, they've, you know, their homes have been destroyed. They're refugees. They have no hope. He said, I don't care what you teach from the Bible, but do you have some message of hope from the Bible 
that you can bring them. Here's 450 refugees, just lost people. Do we have a message of hope we can bring them? Absolutely. So we've seen door after door like this uh, open and how thankful we are. Here you see a group of people lined up. And just notice that, that line that goes all the way back. One of our pastors wrote and said, listen, we had 800 people that waited. How long was it? I keep forgetting. Two hours in line, 800 people, two hours in line for one loaf of bread. But that day they got to hear about the bread of life and the hope of, of Christ. This was from our last trip in. Uh, we had, uh, we've made six. We're getting ready to make our seventh trip in since the war started. But this one, we had a thousand people at this meeting. It was just an outdoor evangelistic meeting. We had some music. We had about a 20, 25 minute gospel presentation where you just preach Christ and the hope of Christ and the love of Christ. And I'm just telling you, people are listening afterwards. We gave out aid in New Testament. It's amazing to see what the Lord is doing. This meeting was about, uh, I forget now, I think eight miles from the Russian border. I think we had 12 to 1,500 people at this meeting. From this meeting, a church was started. Who would think of church planting during a time of war? If you would have told me, Derek, you're going to have more opportunities to preach the gospel, you're going to see more people receiving Christ, you're going to see more churches started than ever before, I'd say, you're crazy, it's war. How can there be such opportunities? I'm just telling you, that's what's happening right now in Ukraine. Through a very difficult time, I want the war to end. I mean, you have mothers come up. I lost one of my sons uh, eight months ago in the war. And uh, my second son, I haven't heard from him now in six weeks. I don't know if the Russians have taken him prisoner or if he's dead. Can you imagine uh, living with that kind of uh, that kind of weight upon your heart? But this is the good part, and this is where we're able to go. So right now, we get I get pictures like this back from uh, our men. And even though Julie and I are here in the states and we're traveling uh, to raise funds, and then we'll make trips back in, getting ready to make this trip here coming up. Uh, but I get pictures like this, and guess what's happening while we're here raising funds in America? The gospel's continuing to go out. The gospel's continuing to be preached. We just had a group uh, that was down in the Kursan area, and how thankful we are to see this happening and to receive pictures like this in these villages and areas with people coming to listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ who weren't listening before. You could try to give out New Testaments before. I could give out maybe 150 invitations to our church and have one person come. Right now, our church is filled in Kiev, very full. We're just grateful for those that are coming and listening and for the New Testaments and gospel literature that they're taking. Again, you can give out New Testaments. Everybody takes them. Nobody turns you down. They all want to hear what the Word of God says. Here's our church in, in Kiev. Just to give you a little bit of feel, Dima, I would ask you to pray for Dima as he leads the ministry and just what God is doing. Majority of these people have orthodox backgrounds, but I'm telling you, they are listening to the gospel. They are responding to the gospel. And it was hard for them because so many of them, we were talking in Sunday school, in the orthodox system, you know, it's, it's based on tradition, on keeping the law, earning God's favor by how you live. You had these icons that mediate for you. One of the Sundays I was there in Kiev, I preached, and I, I said, listen, if you're going to come to Christ, you have to let the icons go. Icons can't save you. The traditions can't save you. Church can't save you. Only Christ. You've got to let those go and come with both arms to Christ and embrace Christ. Well, afterwards, one of the ladies called in a group, uh, and she had a group with her, and they called Dima and said, well, listen, we're, we're Christians. 
but we also have our icons. I mean, we believe in Christ, but we... And Demas explaining, no, well, it's, it's, uh, it, it's not the icons. It's coming only to Christ. And he told me, he said, Derek, I think we're going to lose some of our people. I said, well, Dima, we got to share the truth of the gospel with them. And if we lose people, we lose people. But that's just the way it's going to have to be. But guess what? These people continued coming. Remember the lady I shared that called, Dima? That's her over Julie's right shoulder there. This was our last trip in. That morning we had uh, preached the gospel, had an invitation, made it absolutely clear what it means. If you're coming to Christ, you're saying no to the icons, no to tradition, Yes to Christ. Only my faith will be in Christ for my salvation. That lady came forward that morning to receive Christ. We had others that came forward that morning. So people are responding to the gospel. And it's really a miracle of God's grace. Most churches in Ukraine, let's say before the war, they were running 125. Then when the war started, maybe they lost 50 to 60 people who fled the country, left the country. So they were left with around 50, 60 people in that church Majority of those were older people who couldn't leave, who couldn't couldn't flee. Uh, but guess what those churches are running today? They're back to the 125 or more. And those that are coming are not refugees that have returned from other countries. They are new people that are coming to hear the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's really been like a, an awakening of, of sorts that's happening in Ukraine uh, by the war. And we're very thankful for that. We're seeing fruit. This was my last trip in. These two ladies had received Christ on earlier trips when I had been there. Maria there on the right, we had a meeting on her street, and afterwards she came up and said, I want to receive Christ, and she prayed right there on the street to receive Christ. We were in a neighboring village, and uh, and they had a Baptist church, and we had an evangelistic meeting there, and they came that night, and I got to see them. The one there on the left, Luba, she had uh, trusted Christ. These women had been Orthodox believers. Now, I want to ask you a question. Uh, Would they have ever come to Christ if there had not been a war? I don't know that they would have, right? I'm not God. I can't see. But I'm just telling you, they were happy where they were, content where they were, right? I mean, they didn't realize their need, but the war has caused them to search deeply. There have been times when I have preached over there when you can hear the missiles hitting in the distance. They might be five or seven miles away, but you can hear them hitting. You don't have to tell Ukrainians that life is short, that death is imminent. They know this. And so they're searching for hope. And both these ladies, I got to see, they had both received Christ in earlier trips, and they both shared with me their faith only in Christ, their certainty of heaven uh, because of Christ. Did we lose one there, guys? Okay. (laughs) Is that it for the pictures? Okay. All right. So anyway, we, we would appreciate your prayers for Compassion for Ukraine and uh, for our fund, as, uh, and especially for this upcoming trip into Ukraine for other evangelistic opportunities. Pray for God to continue to provide. Uh, and we've had foundations that have given, and uh, we've just seen through churches like yours that have given and how grateful we are. Just pray for God to continue this and continue this work. Many Ukrainians come to us and thank us for what they're doing. This little girl right here uh, was just just a very touching story for me personally, but we had done an evangelistic outreach in her village. Her village had been occupied earlier by Russia, so no telling what she saw or her mother experienced during that time. After the meeting, we usually stay around and we talk to people and uh, we, we just you know love on people, hear their stories. 
This little girl came riding up on her bike with this bottle of milk from their milk cow. And, uh, and she said, well, my mom sent this to you and wanted to thank you for coming today. And, uh, you know, that's very precious to a family when they make their money from selling milk from their milk cow, right? And uh, the greatest love offering possibly I've ever received and the sweetest milk I've ever tasted. But Ukrainians are very thankful for your help. They often tell us, thank America for what they are doing. Uh, believers will tell us, thank the churches in America for how you are giving and for your prayers and for thinking of us. So they are very thankful for that. And I want to thank you today uh, again for your heart and for your prayers for Ukraine. And uh, just continue to pray until God's will is accomplished there. Pray. We need more laborers and workers in Ukraine with all the open doors and things that are happening there. And for souls that have yet to hear the truth of Christ and the gospel of Christ, for them to hear that truth. One of our men went to an area called Bakhmut. Now, this was earlier, but Bakhmut's been one of the hot, most hotly contested places in all the war. And he went there. I think there were still five to 7,000 people that were living in Bakhmut. And he did a, while he was there, I mean, he preached the gospel. He prayed. He sang with them. He took some aid in there for them. These people were all down in a, in a bomb shelter area. And I started thinking about that, and this pastor, his name is Nikolai, he's a younger man, maybe 35 or so, and I thought, man, should Nikolai, he's got a wife, two precious kids, church, he's risking his life to go into Bakhmut. When he did a video from there, you could hear the missiles hitting, and they weren't hitting five or seven miles away, like when I've been here, they were hitting five or seven blocks away. I mean, you can hear the explosions, and... uh it was just fascinating. And I thought, well, should he even be going there? And then I thought, you think about it. If you were one of those five or 7,000 and all you had heard was the Russian Orthodox or the Ukrainian Orthodox explanation of God and the gospel that you have to earn it, you have to work your way there, would you want someone like Nikolai coming to tell you the hope of, of Christ, the forgiveness of God, the grace of God? And you know what? You would, wouldn't you? Would you want to step out into eternity having never trusted Christ alone for your salvation? So continue to pray for God's hand and God's work, and we appreciate your heart and for the privilege that's ours to be here today. Let's do this. Let's turn in our Bibles uh, to the book of Second uh, Thessalonians. And I know I was here on a Wednesday uh, evening a while back, and I think I, I shared this truth, but from a very abbreviated point, I wanted to share with it with you this morning because I, just the importance of this truth. But 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And here we find the Apostle Paul, and uh, Paul here is uh, writing to the church in Thessalonica, a church that he had never, uh, that he had started, that he had been to. And he writes to them, and he says in verse number 1, Finally, brethren, pray for us, and that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Father, bless us today as we look into your word. God, encourage us today, challenge us today. For those of us that know you here today, may we hear more clearly your calling. May we understand more greatly our purpose and our role in worldwide missions. For your glory and praise, do we ask and pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So you see Paul here in verse number one saying what? Brethren, do what? Pray for us. 
And so you find Paul in the book of Colossians, in the book of Ephesians, in the book of Romans, in the book of Hebrews. I mean, over and over again, you see Paul making a request for believers, churches, to pray for him. And I think how Paul saw it, and I think how the Bible teaches missions, you know, we have those that are, have a specific calling of God to go. By the way, I believe every born-again believer should be surrendered to God. Let me say that again. I didn't hear any amens, Pastor. I believe every born-again believer, listen, the service will go a lot quicker if you amen me, all right? I believe every born-again believer should be willing to go, allow God to call you to stay. And I tell you, there's no greater church to pastor than a, than a church of believers who have surrendered to go but been called of God to stay. Because there's a specific purpose for those who have been called to stay in the cause of worldwide missions. Paul was one of those called to go. So he surrendered to go. God called him to go. And we read about him and his missionary journeys there in the book of Acts. And Paul knows the work that God has called him to is greater than Paul. Right? It's more than Paul can accomplish. I mean, it's impossible for God to accomplish the mission in his own strength, in his own wisdom, in his own power that God has called him to. If this mission is going to be completed, it can only be completed by the grace of God. And the grace of God comes to us in abundance only through prayer. So Paul is saying here, pray for us. There's a mission, there's a work, pray for us. I want to read you a little quote right here this morning before we get going. When we rely upon organization, we get what organization can do. When we rely upon education, we get what education can do. When we rely upon eloquence, we get what eloquence can do and so on. But when we rely upon prayer, we get what God can do. And my friends, we need today what God can do. Our churches in America today need what God can do. We don't need what eloquence can do. We don't need what our you know, brains can think about and new schemes and new thing, ways to do things can do. We need what God can do. If there's ever been a time in America that we have needed what God can do, my friends, it is today. And if there's ever been a time in world history in the time of the church age that we need what God can do, It is today. You might be looking at this thing of world missions and saying, well, wow, the the world mission, this is too great of a task. I mean, there are closed doors, there are closed countries. I mean, we just don't have the workers. We just don't have the means to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an impossible task. And I would say, you know what, for you and me, it is an impossible task, but nothing's impossible for God. And maybe the reason that we've been so insufficient in completing the mission that we've been called to is because we really haven't given it the time and prayer that it deserves. That we haven't called out to God for His hand, for His blessing, for His grace. Well, here Paul is saying, brethren, pray for us. Now I want you to notice specifically at what Paul is asking prayer for, all right? Number one, he says that the word of the Lord may have what? Okay, is that what it says in your Bible over here in this section? All right. that The word of the Lord may have what? Free course. All right. I saw some heads looking down. That's good. You're looking in your Bibles. That he may have free course. What's that mean for the word of the Lord to have free course? It means for the, the gospel to be unhindered. For there to be open doors 
to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. For God to open these doors. For God to bring about these opportunities to share Christ. You know, God can open doors that Satan closes. In the earlier letter here in 1 Thessalonians, Paul speaks about the closed doors of, of Satan. How, how things he had been hindered in his gospel ministry because of Satan. Listen, our God is greater than Satan. And the doors that Satan closes, God can overcome and open if we will but ask and seek his blessing and his grace. So Paul is saying, number one, pray for me that God would open these doors of utterance, that God would give the word of the Lord free course. You have missionaries that your church supports. You know what? Your missionaries need these prayers. They need prayers for open doors. They need prayers that God's His providence and hand and grace and power to be upon them with opportunities to preach Christ, to reach the right people with the gospel of Christ, that it can spread into that whole country for His glory and praise. Our God is a God that can open these doors. I shared with you earlier our doors right now in Ukraine. More open than ever before. More opportunities to preach than ever before. I have a government elected official who's traveled with me. He's now heard me preach the gospel a minimum of four times in these evangelistic meetings. And this is amazing to me. Last trip in, I got to sit down with him. He's in Zelensky's party. I mean, he goes to Kiev and all that. Last time I was there, I sat down with him, gave him a one-on-one presentation of the gospel and gave him a Bible. His name is Nazar. Pray for his conversion to Christ. He came to his Orthodox priest. He grew up Orthodox. He came to his priest. You know what he told his priest? He said, listen, these Baptists, they're trying to help people, and they're bringing Ukrainian people a message of hope. He said, what are you doing? Why are we not doing anything? Why are the Baptists doing everything? He's seeing a difference. Sergei, our director there in Lutsk of our charitable fund in Ukraine, He told me uh, in a couple of conversations ago, he said, listen, I was talking to Nazar, that's the elected official. He said, he's got an opportunity for you to go down in the southern part of Ukraine. There's going to be a lot of Ukrainian soldiers there at this camp. He said, you can go and he will come with us and we will go down there and you can preach the gospel to these soldiers. Where did that door come from? Can God open these doors of utterance? You know, you might have people at your workplace, people in your high school, uh, people in your neighborhood, family members. You know what, where we need to begin with them? Lord, open a door. Do you ever feel like sometimes you're forcing the door open, right, to preach the gospel? Anybody been there before? I've kicked in a couple of doors. Let me tell you, it doesn't usually work so good, does it, when you're kicking the door open to share the gospel. But listen, when God opens the door, can God bring things into their lives? And then all of a sudden they begin to talk to you and a door opens for you to share the gospel with family or with work members. Just keep open your mind, your heart. God needs you. Open these doors. In the world today, what is the population of the world? About 8 billion people. That's right. 8 billion people in the world. You know, it's estimated that only about 30% of the world has heard a clear gospel presentation. 30%. Now, how many did Christ command us to go to? All the world. Every creature preached the gospel, right? Every nation, every ethnic group of people, every person within every ethnic group of people 
preach the gospel. Well, how can it be 2,000 years later we've only reached 30%? Of that 70% that have not heard the gospel, 30% live in areas like Harrisonville where they have the potential to hear, just no one's ever shared with them a direct gospel presentation. Isn't it sad that we have people surrounding us here, they go to the Methodist church, or they go to a Catholic church, or they go to a church of Christ, or wherever it is they may go, but they've never heard the true gospel? I have a friend over here from Topeka, Kansas. He told me, he said, Derek, I was 36. I grew up Catholic. I was 36 before I heard the gospel for the first time. How could have he played on all those ball teams? How did he go to a public school? How did he live in a neighborhood? You know there were born-again Christians in his life. How come nobody ever shared the gospel with him until he was 36 years old? And how can it be that right here in Harrisonville, there are those that have yet to hear the truth of the gospel? Well, 30% of our world live in an area like this with the potential to hear, just they've never heard. But 40% of that 70 live in an area that we'll call unreached with the gospel. They don't have the potential to hear the gospel. They don't have a church. There's not a Christian who's in that area. They're going to go from cradle to grave, and they're never going to once hear of the love of God, the forgiveness of Christ. I remember reading of a doctor who had done a a medical mission into Pakistan. And, um, Pastor, I had a young man who was in in our uh, church there in Kiev, and he's from Pakistan, and he was coming, and he told me, he said, Pastor Derek, we're gonna, you're gonna have to come to Pakistan. You've gotta preach what you're preaching here in Pakistan. I said, well, I've got a pastor in Harrisonville, Missouri, who would love to go to Pakistan. So I gave him your contact info. Is that okay? To go to Pakistan. And, uh, it's been good knowing y'all. See you in glory. All right, when you get back. Uh, but, but you have areas like that where, where people have no potential to hear. You know, you think, and I think I shared this last time, but Coca-Cola has been around how long? 150 years or so, 140 years, right? Started down here in Atlanta, Georgia. Little sugared water coloring, right? Coca-Cola, boom. Do you know the Coca-Cola logo is recognized in like 97% of the world? You know when I go to Laos or when I go to Tajikistan or when I'm in in Ukraine or wherever, do you know, I don't know that I've ever, and I'm not a big Coke drinker, but I don't know that there's ever a time where I don't see Coke available to buy in these countries, but a lot of these places don't have the gospel of Jesus Christ. How did Coke make it to 97% of the world in 140 years, but the gospel, the church of Christ has had the gospel of Jesus Christ for 2,000 years and has only reached 30% of the world? How can that be? And you know what's sadder about that? That truth is sad, but you know what's even sadder still? The church of Christ today is content with it being that way. Listen, the status quo is not working, my friends. Our Lord is coming. Jesus is coming. Now, I'm not saying He's coming tomorrow, but He could. I don't know the date when He's coming, but I know I'm reading my Bible. I see all the pieces on the chessboard are moving I mean, he's coming. You can see it. If there's ever been a time where you can see Bible prophecy being fulfilled and things lining up for the return of Christ, we can see it. Do we want him to return and we've only completed 30% of our mission? Look, most of y'all, how many of y'all from Missouri? Most of y'all, okay, good Missourians. I'm one of y'all, all right, right there. In Missouri, we're the show me state, right? 
You got a 30% up here at Lee Summit High School. I can guarantee you what my teacher was going to give me for that, that effort. Right? An F. My friends, we are failing. So we're going to have to ask ourselves, what is it that God is calling us to do? And God, how can we get this mission completed? And it's going to begin by us praying and crying out to God, give your word free course. Open doors. Give us the labors that we need. And oh yes, Lord, by the way, what do you want me to do? What can I do? How can I have a part? And if God is calling you to stay, God is calling you to pray. And this is your part. Your biggest and most important part is your prayer ministries for your missionaries that you are sending forth into these uttermost parts of the earth. So the first thing we see Paul asking for is we see him asking for prayer, specifically for the Word of God to have free course. But what's the second thing Paul asks prayer for? And he says, and be glorified even as it is with you. Not just for the opportunity to preach the gospel, but for the power to preach the gospel. For the gospel to be preached in the fullness of power. Paul told the church in Thessalonica there in the first letter, he said, when I came to you, I didn't come in word only. I didn't come just with the Word of God, preaching the Word of God, but I came in spirit and I came in power, the blessing and hand of God. Listen, you go to these countries like if you're in Laos and it's animism or if it's Buddhism or if you're in Tajikistan and it's Islam or even in Ukraine where it's Orthodox uh, faith or Christianity or Catholicism, whatever it may be, I'm just telling you, The gospel is cluttered. It's hard for them. Their minds have been blinded by the God of this world. It's not just enough to have the opportunity to share it. We need the power and hand of God behind it to bring about the conviction that's required to bring conversion. Friends, I sold. I was a salesman the early part of my life when Julianne married me. I did a good sales job. I got her to marry me. Amen. Amen. So, uh, and, and I and I could sell, and I, I learned the advantages of my product over my competitor's product, and I could sell my product, but you can't sell Jesus. It's not by manipulation or by the way that you describe or even how you use the Word of God to describe the Gospel. Those are all good things, especially the use of God's Word, but it's the blessing and power of the Spirit of God that brings it to life and that brings about fruit that's born for the glory of Jesus Christ. And listen, the gospel of Jesus Christ can reach any sinner. I don't care how great your sin. I don't care how far you are from God. The gospel, my friend, is for you. Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom Paul said he was what? He was chief. He was greatest of sinners. And if he's what he's saying there is, if Christ can save me, if his grace was sufficient for my sin, his grace can be sufficient for your sin. Praying for the gospel to be glorified. I was reading of a, in a book of a, of a missionary evangelist, and this is before World War II, and he was in Eastern Europe. His name was James Stewart, and he traveled into a church in Latvia, and he said that morning in the church in Latvia, he preached. And he said, man, I had a freedom when I preached, and there was decisions that were made that morning when I preached. And he said that they asked me to come back that night and preach again. So I, I, I said, well, I'm going to get there early before the service, I'm going to spend a time in prayer with God because I want that same hand of God uh, to be there when I preach tonight. He said he got there and he went down into the basement. And if you can imagine a 
cold, musty basement in one of those Eastern European uh, churches back in the in the in the late 30s or, or early late 20s, early 30s, somewhere in that time frame. And he said he got down there and he saw some light off in the corner where the furnace was. And he began to work his way. He thought, well, I'll get over there by that fire and I'll pray over there. He said as he got over by the fire, he saw something that was difficult, hard for him to understand, to believe. But there were three women. They were laid down, face down on the floor, crying out for God to bless the evening service. Interceding with God, God, we got to have you, right? Lord, if you're not here tonight, nothing is going to happen. God, please meet with us tonight and speak through your preacher tonight. Speak to us through your word. We must hear from you. And Lord, if there are any here tonight that don't know you, make your gospel alive to them and convict them and draw them unto yourself. But Lord, just let your will be done. And that missionary evangelist said, immediately I understood why I had such power this morning when I preached. You know, I wonder what it would be like on Saturday nights as, as families we gathered around together. We got our children together and we said, you know what, we're just going to have a time of prayer for service tomorrow at Heartland. We're going to ask for God to meet us there tomorrow. We're going to ask God to work through our Sunday school teachers tomorrow. We're going to ask God to work through our pastor tomorrow, to speak through him tomorrow. And Lord, to show us our needs, where we need to change tomorrow to be more like you. Show us the areas, oh God, where, where my life needs to be conformed more to you and to your image. But Lord, we are praying for power and for your hand of blessing tomorrow in the service. Do you think that would make a difference? you think if we begin to cry out to God and say, God, tomorrow if there's anyone that's lost in our service, Lord, we can't reach them. We'll share truth with them, but God, ultimately, your spirit has to bring the conviction tomorrow to draw them. God, we are giving this to you tomorrow. We're asking you to speak tomorrow. You think God can answer such requests for prayer? You think a reason today why so many of our churches in America seem so feckless and powerless is because there's a lack of prayer in the church? Listen, I I just pastored up uh, 291 here a little bit, right? little city called Raymore. We had a prayer meeting there, had a Monday night prayer meeting for men, and we had a Wednesday night prayer meeting for the church. You know, it was amazing how few came to pray. Get them to come to a Bible study, hard to get them to come to pray. We were there in uh, Ukraine, and we went down to the border by the uh, border down near uh, Moldova. A church had, had received some refugees, and many churches in Ukraine have received refugees from all over the country. So you might have a church this size, and you would have 30, 35 refugees living in your church, bathing in your church, eating in your kitchen, and so forth, because they don't have a place to live, and the churches open their doors. Most of these people that are living in churches are lost, and you're just trying to influence them with the hope of the gospel of Christ. But we were down in a church down near the Moldovan border, and that night... At about uh, 6 p.m. or so, the sirens start blasting, warning you of impending missiles. And I'm thinking, we had a service that night, and I'm thinking, well, are they going to still have their service? Or should we be running to a bomb shelter here? And what do you think they did? They have the service. So I'm, I'm in the service, and, and I'm up on the platform. It's a fairly good-sized church, and the choir was up here singing. And I thought, well, these people are really singing tonight. 
with a with just a passion. The corporate singing was just alive. I mean, you could tell these people were sincere in what they were singing. And then later that night, we had a time of corporate prayer. And when I heard them pray corporately, one at a time somebody would pray, and they might be back in the corner over there making a prayer, and somebody up here on the in the choir loft saying, Yes, Lord, Amen, Lord, let it be so, Lord. And that went on that night, and I thought, I don't know that I've heard corporate prayer like this before. They are fervently praying to God. And, of course, the whole time I'm there, I'm thinking, listen, a missile could hit us at any time, and we're all going to wake up in the arms of Jesus. I mean, I'm happy, but, you know, you guys don't seem to realize this, right? And then it dawns on you, well, hey, dummy, that's why they're singing with such passion and why they're praying with such fervency because they're living their life with a constant expectancy that at any moment of time they're going to be face-to-face with Jesus. You know, how often here in America do we just take our freedoms and everything for granted? And just the, even the privilege of having a church like this where we can come and freely sing His praises and freely hear from His Word. There are many places in the world that have nothing like this. The privilege we have to take His gospel and to spread His gospel without fear of being locked up or, or put away, right? But how often we take this for granted... And we just think, well, Christ is coming, but it's sometime in the future. What would it be like if we started hearing sirens and explosions? And I'm going to tell you, you're going to draw a lot closer to Christ. You're going to be spending a lot more time in prayer with Christ. You're going to be spending time and saying, Lord, i got to have you today. I need wisdom today. God, protect my children today as they go to school, if they can go to school. God, protect my husband as he's in the war, oh God. Keep him and watch over him and protect him and keep the the bullets away from him. Lord, I'm just asking you to do something for my husband. Lord, I'm just committing him to you, asking for your grace. Can you imagine how your prayer life would be different? Folks, we're in a spiritual battle. It's just as real as the battle that Ukrainians are facing, even more so. And we have an enemy, right? And this enemy doesn't work in the physical realm per se where we fight him physically. It's a spiritual battle. What is the key to our spiritual battle? What ties all the armor of God together? What makes it all work? When we're crying out to God in prayer. We have to do this. We've got this great gift from God that he's given to us to pray. And we never take access to it. Do you understand in the Old Testament, you could only go the high priest one time a year into the very Holy of Holies there on the Day of Atonement to make the sacrifice. That place where the Shekinah glory of God there on the Ark of the Covenant. One time a year and only the great high priest was able to go in there. We have access to the very presence of presences of God in glory. We can come any time. We have a means, we have a way to come because we come in the name of Jesus Christ. We can enter boldly into that throne by the blood of Christ that was shed for us. And our Father welcomes us to come. And we look at all the things in our life and we wonder, well, where is God? And God is saying, well, where are you? How come you're not coming to ask me? How come you're not coming to admit your need and ask for my blessing and my wisdom and my grace? I want to give it to you. And I've shown you in the Word how you can have it. Why aren't you coming? My friends, when we get to heaven, I think we're going to look back and we're going to say, why did I not pray? 
Why did I not depend more on God? Why was I so carnal in my thinking, right? So Paul is saying here, pray for me, number one, that there'll be open doors. Pray for me, number two, that when I preach this gospel, it will be glorified. Pray for me, number three, look down in verse number two, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Paul is saying, ask and pray for God to preserve me. I would seek your prayers as we get ready to go into Laos next week. Next Sunday, I'll be preaching by God's grace in the city of Vintin. Pray for God to preserve and keep during that trip. Communist country, at any time, they could, they could cut, close the door off for me and blacklist me from the country. Just pray for God to continue that open door, to continue uh, as we travel in August in Ukraine to some of these areas to take the gospel for God to protect and keep us Pray for our men and women that are risking their lives every day in Ukraine to take the gospel to those in need. They could have left the country. Many of them could move to the western side of Ukraine where it's much safer. Many have chosen to live on the eastern side. We have a pastor. I just wrote about him the last couple days. He, uh, his home was directly hit by a missile. He could have left. He could have went over to the western side where things are more peaceful. He has chosen to continue there on the eastern side. I forget how far was he from the Russian border, his home. Do you remember? It was like 10 or 12 miles from the Russian border. He is continuing there that he can, uh, and he's moving into the city of Kharkiv a little bit further in, but that he can continue ministering in that area, in that region where the need is so great. There are many such faithful men and women in Ukraine. Pray for them. Let's close with this thought, okay? Share a quote here with you. Uh, and, then, and then a last illustration. Here, uh, a quote I have. Almost everyone believes that prayer is important, but there is a difference between believing that prayer is important and believing it is essential. Essential means there are things that will not happen without prayer. All right, did you hear that? How many of us would say prayer is important? Okay. But how many of us really believe that prayer is essential? And what does essential mean? There are things that will not happen unless we pray. There are souls that are not going to be saved unless we pray. There are churches that are not going to be done, started, begun, unless we pray. There are laborers that are not going to be called unless we're praying to the Lord of the harvest for those laborers. There are things that are not going to take place unless we are praying essential prayers. So in missions, in a missions context here, you have missionaries that the church has, you've said, yes, we believe God has called them, we're financially supporting them, but your support of them doesn't end with your finances. That's just the beginning, and that's the easiest part of supporting them, by the way, is the finances. Your real support of them is going to come in prayer. And that's your most important support of them is in prayer. And what they need more than they need your money is they need your prayers. They need your essential prayers for souls to be touched and lives changed and the work of God to be glorified in these areas. I want you to think for a moment about Exodus 17. There we find uh, Moses, Aaron, Hur. We find Joshua. Where was Joshua? Joshua went down into the valley to fight the Amalekites. Remember with the army of Israel? Where was Moses? He's up on the mountain. What's Moses doing on the mountain? Hands are lifted up to God. Prayers being lifted up to God. Dependence on God as he's praying 
up to God, hands lifted up. What's happening to Joshua down below? He's winning the battle. I mean, the Amalekites might have a greater army. They might have greater and more effective equipment, but it doesn't matter. Israel has the God of Israel on its side, and they're winning the battle. Moses is doing his part. What was his part? Lifting up these prayers. Joshua's doing his part. What was his part? Leading the army of Israel with the sword. Victory was there. But you remember what happens. Moses gets tired. His hands come down. And immediately when his hands come down, what happens to Joshua down below? Starts losing the battle immediately. And then you remember Aaron and Hur come alongside Moses, lift his hands up to God until the victory is won. Now here's my question. Where was the victory won? It was won on the mountain. It was won in prayer. You have missionaries that have received God's call. They go down into the valley. Hand-to-hand combat. That's a pretty good description of what missions can be like. And they willingly do it and they gladly do it because that's where God has called them to go. But for us who have been called to stay, for us here in the local church called to stay, what's our role now in missions for those that we've sent? It's to go up on the mount and to lift those up who have gone down into the valley in prayer until the victory is won. Essential prayers being lifted up, that the glory of Christ might fill the earth, that these areas like Laos or like India or like so many Afghanistan, Tajikistan, I think Tajikistan like uh, 99% or something unreached with the gospel. 99%. How are we going to reach some of these places and countries? going to start on our knees before God, going up on the mountain, lifting up the situation to God. You're going to have to open doors. Lord, you're going to have to call the laborers. Lord, you're going to have to give the power. Lord, you're going to have to glorify your gospel. And Lord, as these go out, protect them as they go. You know, we had an independent Baptist missionary just a few months ago shot and killed in Baghdad. I wonder if the church that supported him, churches that supported him, if they'd been praying for his protection. You see, we have a commitment to God, do we not? And we have a mission from God. And look, if you're here today and this doesn't, you just say, I can't wait for him to get done. I'm hungry. I'm ready to go home. And you need to look in your heart. You need to ask God to revive your heart. Say, God, I need revival. Look. I go over to Ukraine right now in churches. I don't have to, those Christians over there, I come back, I'm charged up. I get over there, I get convicted. I'm over there in Laos and I see these pastors that have spent time in prison for their faith. I get back on that plane, I'm convicted. I'm weak and I'm puny, Lord. I have seen what true commitment to you is. We need some of that commitment today in our church in America. Amen? We've got a work to do for His glory and for His praise. Listen, He is coming. And if you know Him, you're going to give account to Him. Let's get busy, folks. You're Missourians. I'm one of y'all, okay? I especially want Missouri to do well here for the glory of Christ. And I want to encourage you in that. And if you don't know Christ today, never come to Him, you've never received a new life from Him, I'm telling you this, He loves you. He died for you. He waits for you. All you need to do is come to Him. Say, Christ, I'm a sinner. Christ, I come to you and you alone for my salvation. 
save me and change me for your glory. Amen? Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you for this time together today in your word. I thank you for this church. Bless in hearts and lives for your glory and praise. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We continue in prayer with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody looking around as we uh, continue to meditate on what Brother Thomas has said to us. I just want to, to put out that invitation. Maybe you're like one of those um, that he was explaining in the Orthodox Church, and you are on a treadmill of works, and you're trying to work your way into God's grace. It does not work that way. And God has brought you here this morning to receive the truth with grace, uh, knowing that God's goodness is all it takes. It's not our own righteousness. It's not our, the good works that we've done, but it's by his finished work on the cross 2,000 years ago that we enter into eternal life and that comes through faith faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god and if you are interested in knowing more about how to have this relationship with jesus christ that he's talking about that so when the bombs are going off in life uh, maybe literal or even spiritual uh, and you are destabilized and you know that even eternity is just a step or two away i know many in this room you know life is short but if you've never secured eternal life today's the day of salvation it really is and you can know that you can have eternal life. The Bible tells us that in First John. These things have I written unto you that believe upon the name of the Son of God, that you may know.